0: Welcome to the cross-functional and friendly podcast. I'm Stella Garber, currently the co-founder of a startup called Hoop, and today we're talking all about building
1: teams. Hey everyone, I'm, I'm Nikita Miller. I'm head of product at the Knot Worldwide.
2: Hi everyone, I'm Kristen Hayback, currently COO at Shogun. The last episode we talked about who your first marketing, sales, and product hires should be. Today is all about how to plan for hiring the rest of the team.
1: And it's not just about hiring your own team, but also how your teams work together cross-functionally once there are many humans involved and things get really complex. So let's start by talking through how a product team goes. Generally, I think about recruiting a product team based on core competencies. And we talked about a little bit in the last episode as well. So when I think about product management... I'm thinking of someone who can lead and inspire, someone that can influence others, someone that's a strong collaborator, can set product vision, drive some strategy, someone that hopefully is really good with dealing with ambiguity and change because so much of product is about ambiguity and managing change. I also think about someone that's a great communicator. Right. Someone that knows how to communicate both clearly and simply and confidently and written and verbal communication. You really want someone that knows how to collaborate. And part of being a great communicator is really about collaboration, working well, storytelling. And that's just another of the competencies. So that's a great communicator. I also think about general overarching PM mastery, right? What does it mean to master the craft of product management? You need to be really great with data. You need to be user focused. You need to be able to do your own user research. Uh, You need to be able to get on sales calls like we talked about last time. So there are all these competencies that make that up. So as we're thinking about developing a team, I try to think of how do I recruit for folks that are well-rounded, but at the same time, make sure that we have each of these core competencies kind of spoken for in a sense. So if you have a product team of three or four or five, you don't want only folks that are really great and indexed on user experience or user research. You want someone on that team that's also great with data, manipulating data, looking at data, analyzing it, looking at competitors, figuring out what our competitive advantage might be through business analysis. That's another one. You want someone that is a great communicator. So I tend to try and formulate my team based on, one, everyone needs to be really good at all of these things, which is kind of the really challenging part about being a product manager. But when I look at a team, we want to make sure that each of the core competencies are spoken for, so that at any given moment, you have someone that can jump in, depending on what area needs the help most, and also so that you have people on the team that can help kind of level up others in the organization. So... Usually, especially if we're talking about early stage companies, if you're the product leader, you're also probably doing a lot of IC work. And so you may not have the time to do all of the mentorship and kind of product craft development that you might be able to do at a larger company, just given what's going on. So I think it's really important as you think through the team to make sure that there are others on the team that can help kind of train and and level up everyone else.
2: Nikita, what's the org structure and products When you're like sub 5 million, then when you're like
1: 10 million,
2: then when you're 25 million.
1: There's probably not much structure. It's generally a fairly flat (laughs) org, right? So um, if you're a smaller team, there's probably just one layer. And that's someone that's head of product. And you probably have a couple of folks that are pretty senior, I'd say senior um, PMs, maybe principal PMs on the IC track. And then a couple of others who are product managers that have a lot of room for growth. Um, you know, I've been in organizations where you have all senior people or mostly junior folks. We've worked, you know, in, in organizations like that. And I, I'd like to, I like to have a balance early on, especially in a startup when you know people are cycling through as much as possible. You need to make sure that you have senior folks that can kind of Go deep on a lot of things right now, but also have a couple of PMs that you think are high potential, that when the senior folks cycle out, can kind of um, pick up what's left and get it done. Uh, as you get a little bit bigger, it varies. So by the time I think we left, or I left Trello, we had more of a group PM structure, which is a head of product and then a couple of group PMs or directors who are who are leading. Um, PMs within a certain area. So one way is the, the group PM that, you know, has a particular focus area. Um, some of it is usually structured around the funnel, right? So you'd have a group PM that might be more top of funnel around activate onboarding, acquisition, activation, onboarding. You have another group PM, but that might be very much on the revenue side of the funnel um, further down. So there are many ways to do it. It also just depends on the stage of the company that you're in at a given moment. When you're at a smaller company, like we talked about last time, everyone's doing a little bit of everything and you need PMs that can do really the full life cycle. So how about sales, Kristen?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's a good <laughs> question. Uh, <laughs> I think sales is just so, it's so dependent on on each individual, you know, motion, right? And so I guess at a high level, right, you're you're usually trying to just figure out what little foothold you found your way into and how to like expand that even more. So it's like, oh, we're getting some inbound sales. How do we get more of those? How do we convert more? Or like, oh, we've had some traction with outbound. How do we get more outbound? And, and all of those kind of depend on what team you hire. I mean, at a high level, right, usually a sales team structure is that you have SDRs, which, or BDRs or EDRs or whatever DR version you want to call them. but those are the folks who are usually doing like outbound cold calling, trying to up drum up interest and or they're taking inbound marketing leads or interest and in trying to convert those into meetings for your account executives. Then you have your account executives that are usually the quota-carrying sales reps that are taking something from that initial interest through to the close. Then you might have your account executives also handling renewals, or you're putting that over to your customer success team or to your account management team, and those folks are handling your renewals and expansion.
0: BDR and SDR, do you mind defining those lovely acronyms?
2: It's sales development rep or business development rep. I mean, usually they're just used interchangeably. It just means kind of your cold calling team. Like sometimes one team is your outbound and one team is your inbound. but usually that's the team that's kind of like the appointment setters, whether it's outbound or inbound or whatever it might be. And AEs are your account executives those are your, your quota carrying reps. CSM is customer success management. The problem is like those terms are so, I feel like sales, especially, maybe I'm just biased. I feel like sales, especially like none of these terms are actually associated to anything Consistently. <laughs> you know what I mean? You'll be like, I'm a customer success manager. What does that mean? Well, it means this. Okay, well, I'm one too. All oh, it means it's completely different thing. So they're kind of all over the place. They're all usually associated with different parts of the funnel, ultimately. So your first couple of hires usually are, again, trying to figure out what you already are having some success with. So it's like, I have folks that are hitting their quota and we have more leads coming in. We should probably hire more account executives. We should probably hire more. SDRs. But generally, it's usually kind of a little bit of everything. So like maybe two inbound, outbound folks to try and generate funnel. And then there's two folks who are closing quota. And and maybe then there's a couple of folks who are responsible for post-sales, setting them up and making them be successful and making sure they renew. And that's your customer success. Then as you start to get bigger, you usually say, oh, there's a lot of data here that no one seems to be looking at. Someone's like, well, how much can we do next year? And everyone stares at each other and they're like, we should hire a sales ops person to help us figure out these answers. And sales ops will come in and and usually help you just build Salesforce dashboards and reporting, handle commission plans, commission payout. Later they'll partner usually with ops and finance to actually work on bottoms up and tops down, kind of forecasting to say like, what does the next year look like?
1: Quick question about that role. Is sales ops A recent thing. Is this like a recent phenomena or has it been happening and it's just having a moment?
2: Yeah, it's totally having a moment, I will say. And it's funny because um, so there's sales ops, there's rev ops, right?
1: There's
0: marketing ops.
1: (laughs) There's now product ops.
2: (laughs) Everyone gets an ops, it's like Oprah. Like you get an ops, you get an (laughs) ops, everyone gets ops.
0: Sales and revenue, that feels like it should be very similar.
2: Yeah. So at like a large company, you know, a company that has like an ops team already, usually what will happen is you'll have marketing ops and they'll be sitting on the marketing side and they're like handling like the marketing systems and lead scoring and all that kind of stuff, like working through all the marketing systems. Sales, the ops usually is on the other side saying like, how do we get those scored leads into Salesforce and route them to the right account executives? How do we handle maybe territory assignments, commission payout, things like that. And at the RevOps level, it's more like a strategy role. That's the other role that's like really having a moment, like VPs of strategy, which is like, aren't we all at an exec level handling strategy? But like a VP of strategy and or RevOps is looking at the data inputs across all of those. And they'll sometimes report to a finance leader or COO. Sometimes they'll report to the CRO. And they're looking at like, the holistic funnel and what should next year's numbers be? What should over attainment be? What do we need marketing generate? What should those budgets be? Like they're really overseeing that entire funnel. Early stage startups, I think rev ops and sales ops, again, are kind of used interchangeably. Someone will talk about bringing on one of those two people. But I tend to think about sales ops as sitting very on the sales side and a rev ops person being more of like a strategist, they'll work really closely to figure out hiring plans. Like, do we have enough reps? How long is the ramp period for a rep? How many of our reps are hitting attainment? Okay. If we need to hit 15 million in revenue next year, that means we need to hire six more reps and they need to be hired, you know, two in Q1, three in Q2, whatever. Like they kind of figure out the math of all that. And then they partner up usually with like a CRO and a CMO and say like, this is the plan down from finance and like, here's how we're going to do it. And then there's also like, um, I'm going I'm really in the weeds of ops, but uh, there's also usually a tooling team that is separate from oh, that geez. too. Yeah, and those people <laughs> are like the people who own Salesforce and all those systems as well. Um, but that's a, like really large. Like Alassian has like a giant, just, just tooling team, like just people you talk to about Salesforce. Uh, like if you want to feel changed, it's like, open this ticket and wait uh, three years and then we'll, we'll change it. <laughs> it's a great team. I'm just saying they have a lot of requests on their plate. Um, and two, like, as you get into bigger companies and there's M&A, it's like they're merging those systems together. There's, okay, yeah. we've just acquired a company. They have a sales force. To, so anyways, that's what that team does. But so then there's sales ops and then you start hiring salespeople and SDRs. And you're like, oh man, we used to have people ramp and like, Three months. Now they're not. And we used to have people who, once they ramp, they hit a quota. Now like our people are hitting quota. And then someone will say, Well, we need enablement. So then we'll hire an enablement. Um, and enablement usually works with partner or product marketing really closely. And they're kind of like the interface between product marketing, product and sales to like train the team up and they'll do things like onboarding plans and training and certifications and all that kind of stuff. So at the base of it, like that's kind of your core, your very core team, I think is like inbound, outbound. So SDRs, account executives, account managers or customer success, ops and enablement and channel if there's a channel team. So that's kind of like the core like baseline set of folks that you'll usually see on a team, even early days. And of course, then like the scale becomes how many layers of management and things you have on top of that. Kristen, what is channel? It's a great question, Stella. Thanks so much for asking it. (laughs) (laughs) Is that
0: something that SDRs do? No, I'm just kidding.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Let me draw this diagram for you. Um, So channel would be when you sell your product or support your product through sales teams that are not employees of yours. So for example, through a value-added reseller or from a You know, there's companies like SHIs and folks like that where it's, they're almost just like kind of like order takers. It's like, I'm a really big company. I don't want to process 8,000 independent POs. So I buy all of my software, all of my hardware, all of my everything through SHI. Then there's folks who are like, you know, again, to go back to the lasting ecosystem, there's folks who are like, I'm an expert in agile. And if you hire us, we'll do consulting in agile. We'll set up your JIRA instance for this. And, and there's usually professional services involved, but they also resell the software and usually support it as well. So famous companies with really big channel teams are um, Atlassian for sure is one, right? that's That was the gist of the start of their GTM motion. Salesforce has a giant, like you, anyone who's been in the the um, SaaS space, whoever you Salesforce knows that, you know, you almost always end up hiring a company yeah. to do your Salesforce implementation, Marketo, like HubSpot, like all those folks are, are folks who have really big channel programs, not necessarily because they make so much money selling the software, but because they actually make a ton of money on the services and the software yeah. is like kind of an add on for them.
0: I think the uh, the example of channel and this is probably getting deep but I it took me a, a while to understand this like f- for Atlassian specifically a long time they didn't invest in international as a sort of category and they used these channel partners which were consulting firms in other countries cuz lots of other countries wanted to buy Atlassian products but you know they needed to like have them educated and installed and so they would use these uh, consultants and consulting firms in like Germany and, right. you know, all over the world. And then they didn't have to make their own sort of sales teams internationally. Yep. So that's a really great, I think, example of how powerful a channel can be.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and sh- at Shogun, for example, you know, a lot of these e-commerce companies don't necessarily have their own internal tech teams. They are using an agency to do website design, SEO, mm-hmm. all the things that they're not necessarily experts in. Um, and so, for us, when when Shogun gets, you know, a vast majority of the time, is being introduced through the agency, and then it's being implemented by the agency and being maintained by the agency. So we have a channel team that's working on that. There's also like tech partnerships from a channel team perspective as well, which, you know, again, we can definitely go in the weeds on, which maybe sit in sales, maybe sit in product, maybe sit in marketing, depends on the company. And that would be things like, again, to use Shogun, for example, like Shogun is a product you can buy on the Shopify ecosystem. So Shopify would be a tech partnership, you know, Trello had integrations with Salesforce and tools like that. The folks that work on those relationships um, are tech partnerships. And like I said, oftentimes there's a product counterpart or a technical counterpart who's actually making sure those two tools can talk to each other. And there's usually a commercials counterpart who's like, negotiating like mm. well how much commission do you get if someone buys it through ours like how do we you know let's do co-marketing together oh, it's
1: co-marketing
2: it gets really blurry just like everything at scale just stuff gets blurry at that point
1: and it gets confusing for everyone right so yeah. who if, as you think about not not to use the, the word front lines but folks that are working with marketing and product who are they on the sales side.
2: I mean all the all the leaders usually, right? So like, you know, whether whoever's running at the account executives or the SDRs or you know, SDRs normally have a very close relationship with marketing. In fact, I would say 50/50
0: Mm-hmm. They might
2: sit in marketing or they might sit in sales. It's very common, especially in smaller companies as they're building out for SDRs actually to originate out of the marketing team. Um, and that's because they're working so closely on lead generation, um, lead qualification, narrowing down what the ICP is. Why are these leads converting? Why are these not? It makes sense sometimes to be very close to marketing. So they'll usually be very close to marketing. That's That team works really closely on that side of the house. Um, account executives... Customer success or anybody handling existing customers like implementation, um, very close to product um, because there's a lot of product feedback that has to happen. Like, why are these deals closing? Why are they not? Mm -hmm. What product features are missing? Why are customers churning? What product features are causing that? You know, that that relationship is very close usually with product. Sales ops will work usually really closely with their ops counterparts, but also with finance. That's a very close finance relationship. I mean, everything always comes back to cross-functional dynamics at the end you know like implementation customer success works really closely with support as well usually they'll work oftentimes closely with finance too because of billing issues and then obviously you have your kind of like at that exec level that's why those relationships are so important because it's like a hub and spoke where all those teams are constantly kind of dependent on 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 one another ultimately. But yeah, those are the big ones. Did I miss any? I mean, then you get really into the nuance like I said, like enablement works really closely specifically with product marketing usually.
1: Yeah, we're going to we're going to get to the probably that. And where do these things potentially fall apart, right? As we build out mm. the teams. I think we'll get into some of that. Um, how about you, Stella? Marketing teams.
0: Marketing. So marketing can be all over the place. It's probably the most creative of the categories. I have yet to see two marketing teams look exactly the same in terms of who gets hired first. Broadly, I would say that the three beginning areas that at least for for SaaS that get hired are growth marketing, product marketing, and content marketing. And I'll define each of them. So growth marketing are the people who are launching campaigns, testing lots of different channels, testing messaging, looking at how things or going uh, down the funnel. If demand generation is important, that's going to be an area that's uh, growth marketing is a place to really invest into. I should mention, and I think I talked about this last time, but marketing, the way that hiring should work is that you start by what you're metrics are, your goals, and then you hire based on that. So if you are not going to be doing any sort of like demand generation, not working with salespeople in the beginning, maybe growth marketing is not an area that you would invest in. But maybe you do invest in product marketing if you're doing a product-led growth um, a model. And w- Product marketing's job is to be BFFs with the product team, make sure that all the technical gobbledygook that product managers and engineering managers are pumping out actually (laughs) (laughs) that it actually resonates with the target audience. They do things like create personas, they coordinate product launches, they work on messaging and positioning, which are hugely, hugely important. They work closely with product managers on making sure that the customer voice is present throughout all of the different product touch points. And then also in the, uh, before you have a specific enablement function, that is something that product marketers also do. They're in charge of, I sort of call product marketers like the API between product and sales and and sometimes um, the support team. And then the the third sort of broad area that you might be growing your team in is content marketing. And content marketing is all the things from social to having your blog or uh, whatever other content that you are pushing out. You're trying to create um, lots of different things that engage uh, users, make them leads, make them customers, all different things throughout the lights of the funnel. They also are in charge of things like developing the tone and voice. Mm-hmm. They are um, developing customer stories that the sales team can use. Um, they may be doing things like working closely with a PR person. They may be doing PR in the early days. So those are probably the first three. Then there's all these other areas that you might hire in, for example, communications, or if you decide to do events like that might be a thing. Another thing that uh, gets put under the marketing umbrella is brand and creative. A lot of times like the people team needs you to put together some landing pages that are all about how great XYZ company is to work for, and guess who gets roped into doing that? It's always the marketing team, even though that's not really their job. Uh, <laughs> so, um, and and you know, designing swag, like marketing, does all of that stuff. We, the marketing team, is always probably the uh, the most understaffed, and the most has a lot of things that they want to be doing. Maybe that's engineering. I don't know. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> I think we all feel that way. Yeah, maybe we all feel that way. So um, I think that um, there's just so many different things that the marketing team could be doing. As a result, you're going to want to hire people who can do things in multiple disciplines. As the Mm. the company grows, you're going to adopt a lot of marketing technology. And that's where things like analysts and marketing operations comes in because they're going to need help figuring out how to make sense of all the data that's coming through. If paid acquisition is a big part of your strategy, you're probably going to have a paid acquisition expert or an SEO expert. So I think as things uh, become more mature, you have much more specialization. And somebody else said that. Did Kristen say that? I can't remember. That's definitely true uh, for marketing. So in terms of the cross-functional, Work in the very early days, you might have one or two marketers who are just doing everything, and they're best friends with the product people and they're best friends with the sales people. As more and more people get hired, it becomes more of a core part of their job, the cross-functional piece. So the product marketing managers, the PMMs, are best friends with product. The you know sales enablement folks sometimes they sit under marketing. I've seen that a bunch. They're best friends with the sales team. Um, and the real challenge with marketing is also making sure that there's continuity in things like the brand and the messaging all throughout, like every single piece of the customer journey, making sure that everybody is talking about the product the same way, talking about the brand the same way, because, uh, when that falls apart, you can easily tell it's, yeah. it's marketing's
1: fault. You have to be willing to do whatever needs to be done in the early stages so there isn't much specialization at what point do we think we start start kind of tipping <laughs> right into this more we need folks with more specialized skill sets whether on product marketing or sales
0: on the marketing side i think it comes down to a strategic decision from management where they go from like let's try everything let's just like TikTok and everything let's just you know we don't know And then they get to a point where it's like you get some signs like, oh, hmm, SEO is working really well or you know, why don't these growth experiments that we've been running, like that seems to be really impacting um, the business. So they decide to double down and hopefully invest in those strategies. And that's when the more specialized hires come from. There can also be a strategic choice that isn't necessarily impacting the bottom line of the business in the short term that can be investing in something like brand, where brand investment is not something that Pays off right away, but it's like a long-term vision. It's like, do you want to be the Nike of SaaS? Well, everyone's got to know that you're that it's just do it or whatever your the SaaS equivalent of that is, and you're not going to have the same metrics. It's not going to come out of the same budget to be doing that sort of stuff, and a lot of that will come down to a a, uh, like a belief from a founder or an executive that like. We should invest in brand. Otherwise, I think it comes more down to which tactics are impacting the business bottom line.
2: I would agree with the, you know, I think it's like in Jurassic Park where the raptors are testing the electric fence. Like they're looking for the weakness and it's like, you're just trying to look to find what's working. And like the minute you find what's working, it's like, everybody go to that thing. And I think that is sort of when the specialist need to come in. But I I would also say there are some for me that you know you're going to need eventually. And if you can invest in them early on as specialist, it makes a world of difference. And so like for me, sales ops is one of those things where it's like – I was just talking to somebody about this, and, and they were like, what what CRM should we start with? And I was like, listen, you can screw around and try a bunch of different CRMs, but you are going to come back to Salesforce. <laughs> like, I can just tell you you are because it's something that like – and sorry to all the competitors of Salesforce out there, but it's like – it's a universal language for sales leaders, for marketing leaders too, and for, you know, ops people. Like everyone just knows how to build on it. You can argue if it's more, it, but they know it. They might hate <laughs> it. They might totally hate it. Yeah. And it's expensive and like there's all those things, but there's just such a switching cost concern mm. there later on. So it's like, if you know you're going to need Salesforce, just buy Salesforce right off the bat. Cause I can tell you, it's going to cost you a a lot of money later on. And so it's like ops is one of those things where it's like to me if you're if you're planning to scale the team, you might as well just bring an ops because you're you're going to need them. There's going to all maybe the level of specialty of the ops person changes, but you will need that specialization sooner rather than later anyway. So maybe that goes with Stella's there's like some things you just have to also believe yeah. in like that one it's like maybe you're not ready for it but like you should just do it. Like you yeah, do probably yeah. need that person right away
1: yeah I, that, that approach resonates. so some version of um, product market fit like you found something it work it's working. that's going to help focus everyone, and at that point we need to figure out the best ways of all attacking this big problem together. So that sounds that that resonates as well on the product piece on the the things you should just invest in. you um, think about that for product. I think one is it's not specifically product management but data like data and mm-hmm. data Amen. infrastructure is something that I just, every company <laughs> I go to or I talk to, they've, it's, it's a mess. Right. And so if I could say there's one thing to invest in upfront, even if it is, is costly, because I think all of our functions rely on it at some point. And ideally it's sooner rather than later, because we're trying to figure out like, you know, signal from the noise. So that would be my, my product one yes invest in in data data infrastructure and data analysis tools like at the beginning
2: yeah i would plus one that data is a mess everywhere and everyone does need it that is a cross-functional ask i think that is usually very under i was just talking to someone the other day that was like should we build all of our own internal data tools yeah. and i was like i wouldn't <laughs> <That's a terrible laughs> yeah.
1: that would be my under-invested in stella you, you said marketing it might be data
0: yeah, I, I actually, I actually might really agree with that, yeah. Is data going to make your fancy t-shirts though? Uh, <laughs> That's right. You like your data swag? I bet you.
2: <laughs> what team does data even sit in? Sit in? Is it ops?
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah.
2: Product? I've seen it in product.
1: I've seen it a lot in product, product or engineering. Um, mm,
2: yeah, and, yeah.
1: Right. But then all of our functions usually have some core, right, data yeah. team that we're aligned yeah. to anyway
0: or like some fraction of someone's time that's spent doing that thing. I think for marketing, the thing that you, I would always, I have yet to hear someone say, oh, we invested in this and we regret it. That's content. Everybody needs content. Hmm. You know, there's different flavors of content, different types, long form, short form. But, um, you will need it at some point or another, and with content, especially if SEO is part of a long-term plan, you got to start doing that stuff early on for to see rewards. So, content. So, why don't we shift into talking about the hot mess? I think that uh, Nikita alluded to earlier, especially when like all these people get hired around the same time. Maybe there's a, f- a round of funding yeah. or whatever it is. All these people get hired. Like, how do they work together?
2: Usually poorly, I would say.
0: <laughs> How can we help them work together better?
2: I think one of the things for me, I was I was just on a call with someone and, and they were like, we're going to start hiring out this team. And they had like a, a picture from a website of like all the rules. And they're like, we don't have this, this, and this. So these are all the things we're bringing in. And I was like, do you actually need those people? Because you're about to throw in like a – Corporate comms person, a product marketing person, like all these things, because you don't have them. And that's one of the things I see with the fundraising round thing, where it's like, there's this checklist of people, and I need to bring these checklists of people on. And I think where the hot mess starts to come is when you do that without a clear plan for what those folks are going to do and without mm-hmm. knowing what the other groups are hiring, right? Because it's like, I'm hiring enablement. I didn't realize product or um, marketing was hiring product marketing and they thought that person was gonna be doing all the enablement. The enablement person thought they were gonna be doing all the enablement and also product hired somebody. And now we have to actually like figure out what the work stream is for these folks. I think the Messiest roles personally are roles like that with like enablement and product marketing ops, ones where it's like my job success is very dependent on being very close to your team but not in your team. So like, I'll be doing my OKRs, but maybe I haven't aligned with what your team's OKRs are. But hey, I need all this stuff because I need to get this shipped out the door, you know? And I didn't talk to anybody about it. And so I guess it comes, for me, it comes down to like org planning outside of silos, like actually looking at what everybody else is doing Mm -hmm. when you do your org planning, Um, onboarding, outside of silos like do you just get onboarded to know what the sales team does or do you actually spend time with the other teams and then um, yeah like aligning of goals and and those swim lanes which I feel like is such I hate even saying that word because I feel like that's such a corporate bs word but everyone's always like what's the swim lanes we're living in but it is true like I think because it gets really messy and people don't understand where your project starts mind starts, where your stops, and and who's responsible for what at the end of the day. Like, am I the decision maker? Am I a contributor? Am I an approver? Like, I don't know who I am in this. Who am I? (laughs) What am I doing? So that's my perspective on that.
1: One of the things that I think works really well at The Not Worldwide right now is we are, I have a design counterpart, an engineering counterpart, and a data counterpart. And we actually do all of that planning together. So when we look at headcounts and budgets, it's all one big spreadsheet and an org chart where we're trying to figure out kind of what does it look like to have the ideal teams across all of these. I think one I would bring in right now, which we kind of are, is incorporating product marketing into that, I think is what would, would totally change in some ways how we work, because it really is about how do we plan together for where we are right now and where we all anticipate we are going to be or want to be in the next year or 18 months. And that's so hard to do in a silo, but it's often done <laughs> in silos because we all have our individual budgets that aren't necessarily aligned across. So I think I think that's an ideal state um, when it works. I also think that I don't know, from my perspective, recruiting and hiring is hard and it takes a long time. So I'm always interested in figuring out, do we have the one or two people ahead of where we have to be? Which is really hard from a budget perspective, but there's a way in which by the time you realize you need that role, it's right now, but hiring for it is actually six months away. And there's something about that that's a little bit <laughs> backwards. I think some of the big tech companies do this really well, where they just hire and talk to great people. And they might not have the specific thing they're going to do. But there's a belief that, well, we know that there's a lot of work to be done and a lot of wood to chop. So having one or two people come in to help us do that and figure it out. So there's something about that foresight that I think is really helpful, but also risky, right? I think. Opt, I've seen really early stage companies take that to the extreme where all of a sudden they've hired you know five product people or eight product people for a non revenue generating business <laughs> right and you think okay, maybe you're just a little bit a little bit ahead of yourself right because you know the the salaries of all these people has to come from somewhere so often that math isn't quite right
2: it's such a like magic pill thinking too well i call it magic bean (laughs) which is like yeah i'm a non-revenue generating business i'm gonna hire five product people and they'll figure it out like yeah they're gonna figure out fit for us right false (laughs) magic bean because if you just hire enough specialists they'll figure out what all the problems are right
1: Exactly. And so that's part of the, you know, talk about building out the team. There are all these skill sets that I talked about for product that we need. But ultimately, you want really smart, talented, hardworking people that can probably do anything. And you need a few of those mm-hmm. early on before you get to this tipping point of needing real specialization. Yeah, definitely.
0: I think at the maybe when companies are smaller, there's a lot more. Um, non siloed planning and things just happen kind of organically because there's not as the silos aren't as um, formed. So, like, what are some things that uh, we've seen that can help people not make that mistake of being in silos as the company scales and there is something like a
1: big rush of people that are hired at once? I mean, the the easiest thing, which is easier said than done, is this planning together which is a lot of overhead, right? Because it means, for instance, I need to sit through all of the the budgeting, budget planning or OKR planning across sales and marketing and and a bunch of other functions probably that aren't necessarily related, but all that information is an input, right? Like we all have, everything we do is an input into another team. So there's, there's mm-hmm. some point of view where we actually have to talk about it and like sit there as Mm -hmm. leaders and walk through what our plans Mm -hmm. are and compare notes. It's really time Mm -hmm. intensive, um, Mm -hmm. but probably necessary and probably necessary to do live because everyone sends out their spreadsheets or their decks and then it's just like lost somewhere in the abyss, as opposed to sitting there and just saying, you know, this is a half day where we're gonna actually do this this planning together. But that's a very expensive meeting. So someone really needs to organize it.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking about, like, a startup where there's more chaos and less defined, like, planning, you know, planning is a a nice-to-have or something that's not as structured. Um, I think it's probably something like just having very clear communication on the executive team and, like, making sure that there's not a lot of egos when it comes to who owns what and which metrics. I think I appreciated that in Trello where there was a lot of shared ownership of goals and everyone was sort of moving in the same direction. I think that was nice in the early days. So maybe there's just being cognizant of that and making sure that that's still really core as a company is growing can help with some of the silo stuff or making sure that the silos aren't formed. What do you think, Kristen?
2: Yeah, I think that Yeah, when you're really small, you can get away with no operational cadence. And then just like everything else, that thing needs to evolve. Um, and I think there's sometimes there's this response to this question and this concern, and you over rotate, you know, too aggressively to an operational cadence, and then you have this really heavy planning process for a company with 50 people, for example, or 20. Uh, but you have the planning process of a company <laughs> with like 7,500 people. Um, and I think it's just like everything else we've talked about. Like I think yeah. there's these, these phases things have to go through. And so, you know, maybe early on it's that you get together, you know, twice a year to to plan this out, like beginning of the year, middle of the year. Maybe then as you get bigger, it's you're getting together quarterly to do it. Maybe, you know, I, it, it evolves. At a high level, though, I think some operation operating cadence just to make sure you know what the hell is going on with other people's stuff is, is important. Um, And that can be really basic. You know what I mean? That can be like a notion page that has to get updated or whatever.
1: I was was just going to say, Kristen, sorry, just on that point that I think um, planning and process gets such a bad rap and it doesn't have to be this really heavy, cumbersome thing, but at some point someone needs to be, someone needs to put a stake in the ground and say what we're building and why. Like that's yeah. to me, that's planning.
0: <laughs> well, can I give an example from the early days yeah. of Trello? It was always really difficult. I know this is shocking, and Nikita, you probably have never heard this, but it's it's very frustrating sometimes when marketing is asking product for the roadmap, and a product yeah. somehow just like doesn't want to commit.
1: So no, <laughs> no offense I, uh, again. Yeah. But I'm I'm agreeing <laughs> with you though. Like someone needs to say what we're building and why, with some time horizon.
0: Right. So what we would do is we, ha- we work with this really awesome um, PR team and we would have a meeting with the product leadership and say like, in the next 90 days, what's shipping so that we can make a plan about like what the messaging is? What are we going to market? Like who is there a launch? And that would be the impetus for actually getting the product team to commit to certain milestones. So it was just it was that because we didn't even have for a long time we didn't have like the OKR planning or anything like that.
1: Oh, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> <None>
0: of- <laughs> Saw a I remember coming in and being like, "Oh, so how does this go down?" Well, I just, you know, I feel like I want to share the real early perspective. Oh, yeah. since We're talking about building a team, and
2: no, it's true. No roadmap, I think, is like so common and like such a, you know, and it, it's not just just roadmap, but I mean, there's there's a million examples like that, right? And so, yeah, I mean, yes, planning gets a bad rap. So it's like planning can be as light or as heavy as you need to do, mm-hmm. but somebody needs to have a plan, like right. yeah, even if it's just like. Like there's a suggest. shared calendar reminder yeah. that this update is going out. Like, it yeah. can be that, it can be really basic. But I think the other thing, too, is um, as you're scaling, bringing in your cross department friends um, and stakeholders to be in those interviews and actually kind of feel good about the people you are bring on. Like, if I was going to bring on an enablement person, you already had a product marketing person. I would imagine that the product marketing person would be part of the interview process for the interview
0: Oh, levels. 100%. Right. If people aren't doing that, that's a great best practice that we should highlight because yeah. I feel like we always had um the cross-functional team has to be included in in some parts yeah. of the interview process
2: and have a say. It wasn't just like a meet and greet, like they had a say, yeah. like they could say like, yeah. "No, I don't want that right. hire. That's not a good hire." So, yeah, those are some.
0: Let's finish up with some like a maybe a one-liner takeaway or the most important thing from each of us about this very important topic of building teams?
2: I'll start. I'll do my nuggo,
0: my hashtag nuggo. I feel like I'm <laughs> going to make that
2: term work this, this podcast is <laughs> meeting. Um, I would say aggressively break down silos or prevent silos from, from being built as you hire your teams. Cross-functionally, that's probably a terrible tweet. Someone else will figure out how to word that. But the idea of like you got to watch that you don't get in your own world and not that you're only thinking about your own stuff as you're building these teams out.
1: Love that. I think the maybe that just what we what we just talked about. Like someone has to be responsible for articulating what we're building and why, with a time horizon like that, and that should be. And that comes down to planning. And also it can be, as you said, Kristen, as light or as heavy as you want it to be, but it needs to be done. All right, Stella. I'm going to do two. (laughs) I think
0: I did that last time too. One for marketing. I was going
2: to say, I was about to make an A-B test joke. I'm like, we definitely did this last (laughs) time. All right, A-B tested, Stella. See which one's better. There was
0: this great tweet the other day. And it was like, if you need someone to do newsletters and product marketing and create sales enablement materials and run the social media accounts and write the in product copy and do this. it was like a list of 20 people. It was like, you don't need to hire a marketing person. You need to hire a marketing team. And I think that is a really important point because for some reason, um, you know, marketers are expected to do everything, especially the first or second or even third hires. So I would say be realistic about like what your team can accomplish. And then the second thing I'll mention in terms of the cross-functional is I just want to hammer home that point that Kristen made about having the interview process be that starting point of um, making sure that there are cross-functional, you know, it's a partnership with every hire that you make. And starting that conversation in the hiring process, I think, really reiterates, you know, how important that team aspect is. So I love that point.
2: Great. Awesome. Well, I think that's, uh, it for us here today. Uh, so thank you for joining the cross-functional and friendly podcast. If you like this show, do us a favor and leave us a review. Um, and also feel free to follow us on Twitter should be up on our website. I'm going to say, uh, all of our, our handles. So please reach out to us there and we're looking forward to seeing you guys again next time. Thanks.